Hi, this is Steve Roost, and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week, we give you the best news, views, and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians, the companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one talk health radio. Hello and welcome to this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Roost. Each week we bring you the best news, views and interviews with the leaders, CEOs, founders and clinicians who are shaping the face of healthcare in the UK and beyond. As regular listeners will know, I am the CEO and co-founder of a business called PocDoc, which is using smartphones and digital diagnostic pathways to massively increase access to cardiovascular screening in the NHS, in pharmacies, and in workplaces. As ever, thank you to PocDoc for supporting the show. And if you want to find out any more information about PocDoc, please reach out to me directly or head to pocdoc.co, P-O-C-D-O-C.co. Thanks as ever to everybody joining us live on UK Health Radio the UK's best health radio station. So it's not just me on this station, believe it or not. There are a huge number of other amazing presenters with amazing shows. And the team at UK Health Radio work tirelessly to bring you fantastic content. So please do show your appreciation for them. Thanks to everyone also who's listening on any of the podcast channels. We are on all of them, but you know, to name but a few, Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon Music. So if you are listening um, after the fact on demand, thank you very much. Also to mention that um, if you're listening on the Health Tech Hour channel, thank you. But you can also find us and all the other UK Health Radio shows on the UK Health Radio channels on all of the podcast channels. So welcome to everyone. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, The other thing I'd like to say for those of you that can't hear it, I'm actually quite a little bit under the weather today, but I didn't want to cancel the show. You know, the show must go on. Uh, but I will apologize uh, in advance if I sneeze or cough or, you know, splutter. So hopefully everyone can forgive me for that because it is it's the it's the time of year for these type of things. So on to today's show. On today's show, we come back to the issue of mental health. And we are joined by Sean Ruan, who's the CEO and founder of Mind Data, based in Cambridge, like PocDoc which aims and mind data aims to revolutionize therapy by providing real-time intelligence on mental health trends so sean welcome to the show how are you good afternoon Steve. i'm very well thank you so much for asking yeah thank you for the invite it's great to be here great perfect are you are you based in cambridge like Do you know us? what? Just out, just outside of Cambridge, Steve. Actually, I always say Cambridge because most people know where that is. I'm about forty minutes northwest, tiny little place called Stamford. Okay, yeah, okay, well, yeah. Cambridge is is probably a little bit more familiar to people. So, um, we on the show we generally go through a few things. One of them is kind of your journey to where you are. I really want to dig into, you know, why you decided to focus on mental health, particularly. Um, you know, there's lots of people working on in that space. And so what the kind of angle or what, what you felt was not being catered for, I think would be really interesting. And then some just broader discussion around the the challenges in accessing mental health services, which we know are getting harder from the NHS. We also know that corporates and employers are looking at it and, you know, a lot of them 
if not the majority of the big ones have some kind of solution in place so it'd be interesting to understand what your thoughts are on that and you know is it going to get better is it going to get worse all those type of things but why don't we start first of all with with just a bit of background about what mind data is and and how you came to start the company yeah, with pleasure, Steve. So um, Mind Data is, as you very kindly said in the introduction, we are we're a technology that provides real-time insights into mental health trends. And our primary goal is to help shift mental health support from a reactive model to a fundamental proactive approach to mental health. That's our, that's our mission as a company. Um, my journey with mental health actually started back in 2015. Um, my middle brother, Lee, he uh, lost his girlfriend uh, in 2014, right at the end. She had a, a stage four glioblastoma. She passed away and she was 20, bless her heart. And I did the classic manly thing in inverted commas of being strong and silent for for my my brother and um and thought that was the right approach and as is true with most things that we internalize they will find their way to the surface in one way or another mine manifested itself in april 2015 and i became suicidally depressed and i was um had you know deep suicidal uh, ideation and uh, and i really really struggled during that time and out of that experience, we can go into a bit more detail, but out of that experience, I chose to have a life's goal of improving the mental health of 1 million people around the world, primarily just to ensure that I had a purpose that was greater than my circumstances. So that kind of acts as a little bit of an introduction as to where my journey is sure, yeah. you know, started with mental health. And what, um, that, obviously, thank you very much for sharing. And I, I think it's pretty consistent well one one of the things that's consistent across a lot of health tech founders but it seems to be particularly in mental health based on my own experience and the experience of people coming on the show is they tend to have a very strong personal so what you know drive but it's but it's very personal so thank you very much for for sharing for sharing that um what is it at, at that time obviously because there are lots of people unfortunately that that end up in a similar position to you um and not all of them come up with this idea of helping a million people. And so what was that process like for you? Was it was it structured? Did you have someone guiding you through it? Was it did you just have to figure it out yourself? What was that like? Well, during during that experience, I actually had an amazing counsellor at university called Betty, and she was working with me uh, and improving my my mental health. I spent 18 months with her, actually. Um, so I had some structured support around my own recovery. But where the mission, the purpose came from, I really wish I could find this video, uh, but it was... I remember watching um, an interview with an ex-US soldier that had uh, done a couple of tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, and he was talking about his experiences with severe depression, and they planned his suicide, actually, in, in Iraq, I think. And it was him where he said, I've now realised that my purpose in life should always be greater than any circumstances that I go through. And that was really, sound a bit cliche, that was a real light bulb, bulb moment where I thought, I think I need that. No one's ever spoken to me on that level in my life. You know, Gandhi has a purpose, not me. And yet that really kind of landed with me. And I thought, yeah, that's something that I can take from this really negative experience. I think I might be able to just find a way of turning it around like this guy did. So that's actually where it came from. It's an accidental YouTube video or interview, whatever it was, that, that sparked that idea in me. So was that phrase the that this person he said I should have I should have a purpose that's greater 
than any external circumstance I go through. Is that the exactly? Kind of the quote? It was, yeah, I'm paraphrasing. It was something along those lines. It was the essence of it very much was his purpose should be greater than circumstances. And I remember writing it on my whiteboard in my, my little dorm room, like it was yesterday. It was just something that really clicked in my own mind. It's funny, isn't it? How stuff can like cut through like that, right? Like, mm-hmm. because I'm, I don't know, maybe, maybe you didn't, but I'm guessing it's possible that you'd read lots of, you've read lots of articles and been through lots of courses and had lots of support that's continued to be sort of the right way to do things. And then suddenly that quote is the thing that cuts through. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. It's, it's funny how that, that works and that lands and who knows, maybe I'd have seen that video one week later perhaps, and it wouldn't have landed, you know, so many yeah. micro things that, that happen and those little domino effects, but you're absolutely right with all of the, the counseling that I had with all of the kind of motivational videos on Instagram, the quotes that were all around there that I was kind of really kind of looking into. It was that one random moment that I watched. So it's funny how that works. You just never know, I guess, where your quotes yeah. are. I mean, I had something similar with um, <clears throat> a video that I ended up landing on by, it was, um, it's the Admiral McRaven, Navy SEALs acceptance speech. It's got like a gajillion views. I mean, it's, you know, one of those things. And um, there's a bit in it where he talks about um, in order to, it, all you need to do in order to be a Navy SEAL is not ring the bell, as in don't quit. You know, and it's sort of this idea of ringing the bell. And I think he has a phrase like, if you want to change anything in the world, just don't ring the bell. That was the thing that got me. So I, I completely understand how that, that can kind of cut through. But so what was the, you know, that was the kind of potentially sort of the clarity moment. But there's still quite a long way away from beginning a company. I mean, you could have gone in lots of different directions. Absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And then actually for five years, I did go in a different direction after graduating. I was on the early team of an HR technology company called Clear Review. Um, and whilst I kind of kept my passion for, for mental health on my own Instagram or, you know, LinkedIn, maybe with team meetings as we as we scaled, um, you know, it's always a, a big fan of, of shouting about mental health. And even if it was just someone saying, Look, I'm not listening to what this guy's saying, but it's a man he's talking about mental health. That's a good thing generally. So yep. for a while, I kind of put it on a bit of the back burner where I focused on helping build and scale clear review, actually. And, and I did think um, maybe I can be a TEDx speaker or maybe I'll write a book. Very quickly, I realized I didn't really have a good enough story to be a TEDx speaker. So I kind of like put that. Put that yeah, that, I mean, that, it's funny, isn't it? Weird, like TED is really gone, but now TEDx. But even then, it's very hard to get on TEDx. Yeah, yeah, extremely hard. Yeah, and and. Well, I just I think even possibly now, you know, maybe if one day I, I, I exit uh, mind data, then maybe there'll be something there. Yeah. But certainly at the time, it was something that I kind of let go. And uh, I remember writing the first page of a book called Recondition. That was the name of it, pretentious, but that's what I was going to call it. And I wrote on the first page uh, for Betty, because unfortunately, Betty has since passed away, bless her. So oh, she never got to see. Yeah, she never got to see mind data, which is genuinely heartbreaking because she saved my life um but i didn't get past the first page i realized i'm probably not an author so um yeah i parked that for a while and then it was only really after we exited clear review about two years ago that i really started to think okay let's let's seriously think about how i can use my technology experience now scaling a company uh and and really kind of marry that that life goal of a million lives with my second love of startups and technology Okay, well, that's a great kind of a great place to jump in a bit. So what was the what was the insight? What, what did Clear Review do, by the way? 
Yeah, it was a performance development. So we focused on helping companies move from an annual appraisal approach to uh, employee development to uh, an ongoing approach. So regular check-ins, in-the-moment feedback, uh, and agile uh, goal setting and agile uh, objectives. And so it was that uh, web-based platform that supported that, uh, okay. that shift. And you got an exit? We did. Yeah, we were acquired in uh, 2020, at the end of 2020, to a company called Advanced. I stayed on for a year as a director of customer success and did my small part in helping transition the team to uh, to Advanced whilst I, I built the first version of my data in the evenings and weekends. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a hell of a journey. It was lovely. It was a cool chapter, you know, chapter that I went through. Congrats. Um, so what's the kind of premise behind MindData and why is it different to other things in the space of which hopefully you can admit that there is quite a bit in the space yeah t- i totally agree so I, I guess i'll just rewind of one of the first tenants i guess i built mind data on was um i wasn't going to go down a road where at the time two years ago i saw a lot of startups kind of having this um counselor in your pocket approach uh, chatbots i saw a lot of that bubbling up in 2021 or so and i quickly realized purely because of my experience with betty I truly didn't believe that technology could replace the human intervention of a mental health company. And so that was the first tenant that that I built uh, mind data on. Whatever I build from a technology perspective, its primary goal will to always be to support and enhance human to human support in whatever context that looks like. So I guess that was initially a little bit of one of those differentiators uh, that, that I that I built that was uh, kind of one of those uh, early seeds and so did you feel like some of the some of the growth if for want of a better word in the mental health services sector was almost trying to remove humans rather than you know because because there is a lack of mental health professionals right like there's a lack of humans so was did you feel that they were trying to digitize it because there was such a lack of humans and maybe not doing such a good job well, to be fair, actually, I, I, I don't think I'm qualified to necessarily whether they're doing a good job or not, actually. That wasn't the, the primary okay. focus. I think that they they still have and they were serving that need of, you know, the the demand was outstripping the supply. Um, yeah. I, I think they genuinely have their place. It was purely from a subjective experience perspective that I just thought that's not where my mental health journey and my experience came from. So I chose to go right instead of left, not for any negative motivation, really. It was just I saw the experience that I had with Betty and I thought, how could I have made that experience better? And there were a couple of those uh, initial areas of of human therapy, human-led therapy that I thought, I wish I could have improved those. So that's where it started okay. to draw down to, to what I wanted There's to build. Very, di- very diplomatic response as well. <laughs> yeah, um, thank you. <laughs> so what, what were those couple of aspects with Betty that you felt like yeah. had been improved? Yeah, well, the first one was, um, you know, most therapy sessions, you know, I've been in therapy for seven years or so on and off. And every session always starts with Steve, Sean, good to see you. How have you been? What's been going on? That's a very, you know, fair question. And, you know, with a sober mind, I can answer that quite, quite fairly. When I was suicidal and depressed, it was the hardest question in the world to be able to articulate, round up a week's worth of emotions and thoughts. Um, and I, I suffered from recency bias. So most of the time we would pick up something that purely happened in the last 48 hours between Betty and I, not right. necessarily the most important thing. And I know that was the case because most times 24 hours after the therapy session I would be making a coffee and something would pop into my mind and I'd think 
I really wanted to speak to Betty about that. So I inherently knew that I wasn't picking up the most important things. So objective number one was how can I remove that reliance on recency bias and reliance on just memory to update Betty in that moment when we had a precious 50 minutes. Do you think, because I've had a similar experience in my experience of therapy of that particular issue, which is, I don't know whether it's just an English thing or whether it's a human thing, right? But like, if someone asks, oh, how are you getting on? You say, I'm fine. You know, it's like that. It's just that it's almost like an automatic. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm okay. You know, and then it kind of, it, I, it, it takes a while for that person to try and tease out of you. And it depends on how good that person is at teasing things out of you. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. Absolutely. And I kind of uh, informally refer to it as a slight difference between therapeutic conversation and a therapy conversation. I found that, you know, oftentimes I bumble my way through, you know, 10 minutes or so trying to tease something out. And I found it therapeutic. It wasn't a waste of time, but but it wasn't therapy. And I think that if therapy wasn't, you know, on a, on a very strict time limit, I probably wouldn't have minded. If I could have run for 90 minutes, two hours, it probably wouldn't have stuck in my mind. But you know, goodness knows that at, you know, 150, uh, Betty would be wrapping this up and I'd be out of the door. So that really put the emphasis on what a wasted, quote unquote, 10 minutes I had. Right. Okay. That was the one thing. And what was the second? So recency bias was one thing. You said there was a second. Was that wrapped yeah, up with the first? Yeah. So recency bias was the, fir- the first thing. And secondly, was actually piggybacking off my experience with Clear Review. Um, looking at the way management conversations between managers and team members would go, talking about ongoing progression towards employee development it was all about two people turning up prepared and that was in direct contrast to my experience with therapy my therapist you know whoever they were they were amazing at what they did but goodness knows they they weren't prepared for what i'd been through during that week so i thought i really want to be able to improve that why weren't they hold on why weren't they is that because betty wasn't necessarily trained for what the issues that you had is is or or is that what you mean by that sort of thing? No, that, that's a fair question. See, no, it wasn't. It wasn't actually about that. It was more she had no idea what I'd been through. Um, right. So she was coming into the conversation cold, effectively. Right. right. So she needed an update before she could actually deliver the therapy, which exactly. uses up precious therapy time. It does. And that updating procedure for me for 10 minutes was really inefficient. So it's kind of this spiral yeah. thing that didn't, didn't make sense for me. No, so I, can, that, I can relate to that. Yeah, they were the two issues that I thought, whatever technology that I build, I want to be able to address those two issues and make those two humans have a better therapy conversation fundamentally. And yeah. that was where my seed really and started. And did you go through a process of validating it with others or did you just think, do you know what, if this is me, then it's probably the same for others? And no, I, firstly, I did speak to people that had been through therapy and were in therapy. Thankfully, as someone that was quite open on Instagram and with my, I, I could open up to people and they would give me honest feedback. And very quickly, it was a common thing where most people I spoke to said, God, I've never thought about it. But yeah, I, I have the same experience, actually. Right. So quickly that validated the patient student experience. And I knew this was a problem that wasn't just within me. Okay. Well, we are going to stop for a commercial break now, but we'll be back in two minutes. And I want to understand how you transitioned, because I think this is one of the most interesting ideas about building a business, particularly a health tech business, which is how do you actually translate an insight into a product or a service um, that people want, basically, which I think is there are lots and lots of problems in healthcare, lots. But then being able to look at them and then turn that into a product that's scalable, I think is really, really difficult. So let's dig into that after this commercial break. Um, We'll be back in two minutes with my guest, Sean Ruan, who is the CEO and co-founder of Mind Data. 
The station that makes you feel good. Stop suffering with pet-related allergies when near dogs and cats. Great news, you can feel safe around pets with Nasal Guard for Pet Lovers. Nasal Guard Topical Gel blocks pet dander, hair and dust mites from entering your nasal passages. Try Nasal Guard for Pet Lovers today. Visit Amazon or nasalguard.co.uk to learn more about Nasal Guard spray and gel products. Again, that's nasalguard.co.uk. Apples and pears, beef and skittles, cider with rosy, common or garden, ant and deck, fish and chips, mum and dad. UK Health Radio and Health Triangle Magazine. Each is good by itself, but enjoying both is always better. Add Health Triangle Magazine to your monthly health regime. Check it out at ukhealthradio.com. A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside, you will find a vegan restaurant, juice bar, and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body, and spirit connection. Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org. When you vacation with Norwegian Cruise Line, every day is a new day. Get a taste for Barcelona, then savor incredible dining options back on board one day. Connect to ancient history in Athens and then disconnect completely in our spa another day. Wherever the sea breeze takes you, come aboard and experience a different tomorrow with NCL. Visit ncl.com, call your travel agent, or call 0333-336-1472. Norwegian Cruise Line, Ships Registry, The Bahamas in USA. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Hello and welcome back to this week's Health Tech Hour with me, your host, Steve Roost, CEO and co-founder of PocDoc. And this week I'm talking to Sean Ruan, who is the CEO and founder of Mind Data, a Cambridge-based business that is revolutionizing the way that therapy takes place through the use of real-time intelligence of mental health trends. Um, for those of you that have just joined in, I am also suffering from a horrendous cold. So apologies for sniffing and maybe some sneezing. Um, but as I said at the top of the show, the show must go on. And what a show. So let's jump back straight into it. So before we we we, we broke, you, you said that Mind Data came out of your personal experiences around um, a recency bias in therapy where you would go in and have to, in effect, sort of spend 10 to 15 minutes updating the therapist and potentially not being able to actually unearth the real issues because you had a tendency to 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 just speak about recent issues um and then you know this issue around therapy versus therapeutic um and the 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 fact that the therapist in your instance a lady called betty had to spend you know her own 10 or 15 minutes getting re-familiarized with with your issues before she could start to work with you so um 
how did you take those insights and turn them into a business? Yeah. Um, so the first uh, port of call was to uh, develop an MVP. So for those uninitiated listening, an MVP is a minimal viable product. Uh, so it's basically what's the quickest and easiest way I can create something to put in the hands of my desired target market to prove the concept or indeed disprove it. So that was actually mission number one. So in the background, I had uh, stayed on at the acquiring company and uh, they were very supportive. I was very open with them to talk about my long-term plans. And so uh, I stayed on for four days a week. That enabled me three days a week and evenings to build this minimum viable product. So I used a platform called Bubble and uh, and built this very simple to use digital journal that enabled me to track my thoughts and experiences during the week. And then a very basic portal that enabled a therapist to log in and see those. So as part of the, the prep for both of us, I could see my, uh, my experiences over the week to come in prepared and my therapist can spend 30 seconds after looking at their notes. They can also have a snapshot of my week as well. So we can come in and they can say, Sean, good to see you. How have you been? I know you've had a challenging week. Thursday was hard. We can start there if you want, but patient led, you can pick up wherever you would like there. So that was that was the first step of, uh, of building. And so did you always build it knowing it would have to be a sort of a two-sided product? So in order for in order for it to be used properly you would need a, a a patient to enter in some information and for a clinician therapist to review it in order to solve this overall issue yeah exactly steve you're absolutely right yeah there, there are plenty at the time still are there are plenty of um, self-journaling uh, platforms out there um and so it, it couldn't have just been a standalone journal that the, the beauty if you will was that relationship underpinning between the two so you're absolutely right that it was always a double-edged sword it was uh, both stakeholders having access to these insight really important and like how much pushback did you get from therapists on it like like or, or, or like i don't know because i could see in one, in one part of my brain i'm thinking well that makes so much sense and the other part of my brain is thinking oh they might not want to do anything different than what they've done before yeah yeah you're absolutely right and and this this kind of ties into this classic startup journey so i was very fortunate actually that the first therapists that i gave it to were naturally forward thinkers innovative minds right. that they're really up for trying new things however to get scale, you don't need to focus on the, the early adopters, right? You need the early majority. Um, and I actually found that as we started to progress down this journey, the vast majority of therapists weren't actually interested in changing the way they did things. I think they understood the concept. They could yeah. theoretically understand the value, but I guess it was an approach of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. There are you know, many reasons why this may not be the most efficient way of doing it. Um, and so alongside that, I, I built mind data on a, on a hypothesis this will be used for self-employed therapists and their patients however until you get out there and prove it you don't know if that's true so at the same time i was putting this technology in the hands of uh, sports teams universities organizations to, to understand where the technology would have had the greatest impact and as it transpired actually it wasn't going to be in the self-employed therapy community okay and where 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 would it be best used or where is it being best used yeah so one of the one of the aspects that uh, became quite apparent uh, relatively early on was within universities um so the concept stays the same right you know a student uses their digital journal to track their experiences a member of the welfare team has access to these insights but talking to leaders within mental health and well-being at more of an organizational uh, approach um one thing that really came to the fore was 
this idea of mental health support within an organization being quote unquote a little bit fluffy that that term came out quite a lot yeah. um, generally lacked meaningful data uh, or strategies with mental health generally weren't being underpinned by quantitative measurable insights or data uh, as a whole yeah. so that started to spark a bit of a seed to say, well, how can we work with you to, to improve that? So that's where this latest feature that we've built uh, comes into play. And we've created a dashboard that goes on top of all of this, where it enables um, leaders or managers, non-wellbeing professionals to have live aggregated anonymized insights to cohorts of people and their mental health trends to underpin strategies and help them shift towards proactive. And how do um, how much of an issue is mental? So this is within student. This is within universities, correct? Yeah. Or is this different right. institutions? Yeah. So yeah. how much has the, how how has the problem changed, gotten better, gotten worse at universities around mental health over the last sort of ten or twenty years? What does the trend data say? Generally speaking, we're seeing that um, mental health for students has over time decreased in terms of the the data. Now, there is obviously a couple of schools of thought that is mental health genuinely getting worse or is it simply that as a a culture, we're becoming more open about it? So people are more comfortable seeking the help, asking for it, recording on student engagement surveys. So all we're seeing is that the attention or the need for mental health is increasing, regardless of the underlying factors. What that's causing is an extra strain on generally under-resourced student mental health teams. And sorry, Steve, yeah. I'll, I'll no, just go, on, go on, go on, go on. Yeah, sorry, yeah. So, so what, what we're seeing is that because we're more students are looking for this support, universities are looking at more holistic ways of saying, well, how can we help students improve their their mental health it may not always be hiring yet another therapist on site for example how yeah. do we get upstream and start to become more preventative instead of purely reactive how, how may, like how much of an what what data do you have that could explain to you know me and the listeners like how big of an issue is mental health at universities x percent of students say they have problems or how do they track it like how do they what do they not track it really they don't know well, I think there are two there are two main aspects from our experience where um, universities are tracking kind of mental health. Number one is the uptake of uh, or the requirement of support within universities. And the second is with student engagement surveys. They're, they're okay. the top two uh, areas. I mean, the biggest challenge with student engagement surveys, certainly from my experience, was that they, 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 they kind of provide lagging data ever so slightly yeah. because we do it termly or biannually. And so it's a bit of a look back. You know, we, we realised that back in February we had this issue, for example. And so they're fundamentally, I mean, they're not the exclusive, the only ways that mental health uh, data is tracked within universities, but for sure that's the lion's share within universities of how they understand the requirements of of our student needs when it comes to mental health. Um, and so that's where we want to come in and start to support them to say, you know, are your initiatives working? Um, which subcategories of students need, you know, more, more support, for example. Right. It's uh, you know, traditionally quite, um, if you will, kind of a spray and pray approach. You know, we, right. we provide a, a resource and it's for everybody. Okay, yeah, they'll put a therapist in there or a student welfare counselor and whoever books up the places, books up the places. 
Yeah, 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 you're absolutely right. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's putting a lot of strain on, um, you know, mental health professionals within universities. And of course, the universities themselves as well, trying to find the, the resources and where to put their investment. And also justify the expense. I hate to say, it, but they have to work out a way to track it, because if you can't track it, then you can't show it's getting better. And therefore, you can't, yeah. you know, you can't justify the ongoing expense, potentially. You're absolutely right. And I think that, that if there you know, many things that have come out of the pandemic, it is this kind of more awareness around mental health in general, in whatever yeah. the flavor is. And I think that if organizations are going to continue to invest into mental health support resources or whatever it looks like, there will obviously be a requirement of more data moving forward to measure the effectiveness, measure the return on investment, understand where to put those you know, investments as well. It's going to be really important moving forward. So how if someone's doing self journaling, right? Yeah. And this might be this might be really easy to explain because it's just how the app works. But a lot of that might be like free text, or and so then how how do you pull aggregated data from lots of free text to draw out those trends? Yeah, very very fair question, and hopefully fairly simple to answer. So when we um, when we offer the the journal element of our, our our platform, there are two areas at which you can record a thought. Number one is subjective zero to ten scale. Subjectively, Steve, how are you feeling right now? There's no yeah. objective measure of what ten is. It's different between you and I. But all we need to know is that you feel nine out of ten right now. You can add then, you know, you don't have to, but if you want to add a few thoughts, words, sentences about why you're feeling that, what you're going through. So they're the two main areas that we capture. And what we can do is, is very simple. You know, there are a lot of clever artificial intelligence companies out there doing very cool things. We've adopted approach of, a, of an iterative approach of keep it very simple, basically. So we do quantitative analysis on the subjective mood scores over time, and we analyze those journal entries and derive themes. So what okay. type of theme is, is Steve recording when it comes so you to could like you could try you could like do a search for how many times the phrase difficult is mentioned or something yeah it, and like in, in essence yeah in essence you're absolutely right what yeah what, what we do is we we take those broad categories and then we roll them up so that the the decision makers the leaders of welfare can see which themes are becoming more prominent um, okay. within certain categories of students and is this the first time they've been able to see this type of information other than those student surveys, which are six months, you know, six month lag and, you know, requires people to actually fill them out? Yeah, I think in, in terms of um, real time uh, aggregated data and, and pulling out themes, um, it, we are very much in the you know an early phase of being a technology that provides those types of real time insights. It's in and of itself, as you quite rightly said it's not a new type of data that someone can get, but it is in terms of real-time data rather mm. than this periodic survey. Inherently, if you're only relying on surveys, there is only a certain amount of proactiveness that you can do. And so we want to shift that to say, what do we need to do moving forward before this gets worse for a particular demographic of student? And what kind of feedback have you had from students or users or um, clinicians or, or universities or anyone else? Yeah, we're having really good feedback so far. So um, the well, let's start with the challenges, actually, because, you know, to keep it yeah. to keep it. Fair. One of the biggest challenges that we're, we're facing is change management. 
Um, so we know that journaling is, is really important. And even when we go back to the days of paper-based journaling, we know the benefits. But whether you're paper-based journaling or digital journaling, um, establishing new habits are always really hard. And so what we're, we're doing is trying to take university students on a journey where we set a realistic target. You know, when you think of journaling, you think of every morning and every night. Actually, that's quite an unrealistic bar to set, let's be honest, especially if you're going through mental health challenges. So yeah. we say set a realistic target of one 30 second check in a week that will help take a university from zero to one suddenly you have weekly data points flowing in and so that's that's one way that we're helping universities move towards that by supporting that change management approach that has its roots in a challenge the other aspect is being able to leverage these real-time insights for different demographics of students Mm. that's really important because you know, it's that nuance between equality and equity, right? Equality is everybody, regardless of the background, you have yeah. access to support. Equity, equity says, well, what type of support does this subcategory of student require? It may be different to other categories. So that's also a big part of what we want to do of playing a role in the future of student mental health. And are universities kind of required, they're requ- I assume there's some kind of requirement for the, some kind of care, duty of care over a student there must be something right well do you know this is this is actually being debated quite a lot at the moment of where an an educational provider stands when it comes to mental health right right the duty of care not to um play a part in declining student mental health put them at risk but the question is when you have a university your primary goal is to provide education it's not to provide uh, healthcare support you're supposed to signpost and support now i think that that is actually changing when we hear about these horrible um you know heartbreaking stories of students you know dying by suicide for example mm. there is becoming more of a push of saying should universities play more of an active role in that are you just an educational provider um maybe not it's a little bit of a gray area yeah i don't know i think it's 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 interesting because you're dealing with adults for the, i mean clearly right over 18s um but then employers have a duty of care over their staff you know and they are required to sort of ensure that the conditions that are present foster good health and you know so that so i don't certainly don't create you know negative working conditions so i i could see that universities have something um i could also see that they might be slightly scared because you know if you you don't want to accidentally create a situation where people kind of draw the conclusion that exams are stressful so exams cause people's mental health to decline therefore exams should be banned it's tricky and yeah. um, i was just saying that i thought that it's an interesting one because i could see that you know employers have a duty of care so why wouldn't a university but then I, I i don't you i could see them being a bit nervous because some of the things that they force you to do create stress exams clearly you know people failing exams clearly create stressful situations, negative situations. And I could see somebody somewhere at universities being a bit worried about accidentally backing themselves into a corner on that stuff. But there's got to be a solution. Well, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that all of those fears are, are absolutely valid and, and trying to understand the, the role that a, a, an educational provider plays within an adult's life. But I do think that regardless of um, you know legislation, I think that universities or organisations will be pulled rather than pushed. I think that at some point, students are going to start setting an expectation of what do you proactively do to support our mental health? You know, we're a new generation. We talk about it a lot. We're more open about it. And actually just having a, a, a reactive 
inclusive you know uh, well-being team as fantastic as they are it may not be enough for example so i think that yeah. universities will eventually want to pick the best students right and compete for them and i think the mental health and the type of support that they meaningfully provide will start to become more of a uh, a big part of uh, decision making for students i truly yeah believe- i could see that generational shift taking place yeah sure um i think it'll be interesting to see how like how soon it happens and that that type of thing but i completely agree with you i think it's become much more of an issue but you know may, maybe when you start to look at the data that's being done maybe exams i mean exams are going to be up there but exams happen once a year mm-hmm. basically i mean m- maybe a bit more frequently it depends on the course you know so it, it might not be that that's the biggest stressor actually mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that that's, you know, one of the, the beauties of using, you know, something like mind data. Uh, we don't know what we don't know. And having that yeah. real nuanced insight just to prove or disprove different hypotheses. And I think that's really important um, for universities to be able to do that and take a data driven approach uh, rather than putting the guesswork and say we assume that exams. Well, it could be financial well-being during the month of March, for example. And so does it work that when you work with the university, the app is available for everybody or how does the access piece work? Yeah. So firstly, actually, from a technological perspective, we don't have a downloadable app. We've built it as a web based platform at the moment. We're device agnostic. The way that students have access is that we onboard um, the university as an entity and then they as part of onboarding, they then invite uh, their students to use uh, mind data. So that's the, the kind of sign-on process. And that's how we ensure that the right uh, student is tagged to the right university for their aggregated data. Cool. Okay. So um, we've reached the end of the second part of the show. We're going to go for our last commercial break, and then we will come right back into this week's Health Tech Hour, where I want to drill into kind of the access to mental health services overall, because it's been an issue that's been really front and center in the news for a really long time now i feel and r- rightly so and um, so it'd be great to get your views on on that because it's, again, it's one of these themes that keeps coming up in association with the word crisis mental health crisis nhs crisis and so i don't know if it's just one long crisis or what the you know i'd just be interested to get your your thoughts on that um but we'll be back in two minutes for the last part of this week's show with sean ruan the ceo and founder of mind data we'll be right back The station that makes you feel good. If optimising your health and well-being is on your to-do list, then let Revive Active, Ireland's number one supplement brand, help you put back what life takes out. All-in-one comprehensive formulas created to offer you maximum benefit, whatever stage of life you're at and with a range that supports everything from immunity, energy, cardiovascular health, joints, cognitive function, menopause, and even beauty. We've got you and your family covered. Premium ingredients packed into a powerful daily sachet. Simply mix with water to activate for a flavorful health drink. Perfect at home or on the go. Revive Active. Available at selected Holland and Barrett stores, well pharmacies, and online at Amazon and reviveactive.com. Super supplements for a super you. Nature's medicine for modern living. A people and plants dialogue hosted by Sophie.health. At Sophie, we bring together experts and voices who rarely cross paths. 
Our quest is to illuminate the ancient world of plant medicine and reimagine it for the connected age. Join us to explore new boundaries of digital personalized medicine with deep roots in the natural world and hear from our community of international pioneers who are validating this new paradigm and improving how we feel, sleep, and cope with daily stresses naturally. Sophie.health, reconnecting people and plants. Once upon a time, human slavery was just a fact of life. Right now, animal abuse is often considered normal. In time, it won't be. Animal Aid campaigns peacefully against all forms of animal abuse and promotes cruelty-free living. Check out animalaid.org.uk. It's time for a kinder world. The station that makes you feel good. Hello and welcome back to this week's Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Sorry for the slight delay there. I was blowing my nose. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, apologies again for being slightly under the weather and croaky. But this is the final part of the show with this week's guest, Sean Ruan, who is the CEO and founder of Mind Data. So, Sean, one question I have is, um, and it relates, it might sound like a really silly question, but we're a broad church. So, you know, I like to ask these questions. Why is journaling considered to be so helpful for mental health? Well, I mean, you know, firstly, I'll preface this by saying um, I'm just I'm just a punk that was uh, depressed and went through some really hard challenges. So I'm certainly not a qualified psychologist, but I can share my experiences and, and where we stand at Mind Data from that perspective. Um, I think it's it's the the sense of a being it's a cathartic experience um, when you can get something out of your mind and on on paper you can see it for what it is. That was certainly my experience of, of journaling. Um, there's this kind of weird magnification that happens when you hold things in your mind and they seem to just get bigger and bigger but by getting them out there and and asking yourself certain questions that journal acts as a bit of a therapist so you can explain what you're feeling you prompt yourself to say well why am I feeling that what what is it you know you articulate your thoughts you articulate your emotions around it so that experience is quite cathartic um but also it helps to be able to provide a bit of a look back I think that when we when we experience you know prolonged mental health journeys you know over months or maybe even years you know, when you zoom in and you're on a bit of a downwards trend for two months, it feels like you are constantly on a downwards trend. But when you zoom out and you have the ability to look back, you can say, actually, overall, you know, I'm on an upwards trend. So this this kind of acts as a little bit of a, a safety net to get things out of our minds and just get it on, pa- on paper. Uh, certainly helps me sleep better at night, as weird as that sounds, uh, just to go to bed with a bit of a clearer mind. Yeah. So I've been doing um, I do this thing called the six minute diary. You know it? You come across it? No, I've heard of it. I've never used it, but I've heard of it. Yeah. It's really good. I can really recommend it to anyone out there as well. It's sort of like a journaling light. It's more gratitude focused, but it, and it's a bit more controlled and it sort of tells you what you have to write each day. But it's it's maximum of five minutes each day. Right. Unless you want to give it a bit longer. <clears throat> but it's I I you know, I it really works for me. So I, I completely I can completely agree with with some of the stuff that you said there about why it's helpful. But it it just journaling does seem to form a pretty big part of mental health practice, I think. Yeah. 
yeah, I, I think I think you're right. It's a very common aspect of this. I totally agree. And and like you said, there are so many different flavors of journaling. Um, I just want to piggyback off, off what you said. You know, one of the things that, that I do in the morning is a gratitude list. Uh, some people, you know, think it's quite hippie, but I think it's genuinely really grounding to to be able to provide a bit of a step back view to say, hey, do you know what? I'm subjective experiencing these things, but these things are real. I do have things yeah. that I'm before um and so yeah I, I just wanted to say steve i'm a big fan of um you know having a gratitude journal and gratitude list as well and again echo what you've said highly recommend it for anybody going through some mental health challenges out there definitely yeah i i think it was for me it was the first time i'd really done anything like that and um it was it was really kind of instructive to to remind me in all of the maelstrom of all of the craziness of being a founder and doing all these different things um you know what what i was already grateful for mm -hmm. what i already had yeah. or have in my life that i should be grateful for and also the appreciation of the small things you know like a great cup of coffee or a really nice breakfast or you know Absolutely. all of these things like you say are objectively really good things mm -hmm. um, and and you know calling them out to yourself actually can be one of the best parts of the day I totally agree. It's such a good start. And and like you said, there's no there's no thing too small to be grateful for. I absolutely agree. You know, so so many, you know, times during the day. If you know, I always think of this thing of, you know, Steve, Bob, whoever, would you consider would you consider yourself a grateful person? Now, most people would say, absolutely, you know, I'm grateful for many things. Are you grateful for your parents? Absolutely. Now here's the kicker. When when was the last time you were consciously grateful? When did you reach out to your mum and say, Do you know what? I'm really grateful for having you in my life, mum, or, or whatever it may be and i think that's where a lot of people then fall off and say god i don't think i ever have been you know and yeah. there's more time thinking about you know the bill that's coming up or you know the you know, economic climate whatever it may be rather than just spake, spending some time so yeah i, yeah. I love that steve yeah so one of the questions you have to fill out every day in the six minute journal is what is the good thing i did today great and when they coach you through it at the beginning they're like the the purpose of that question is twofold one is that you probably did something good today or nice today that you didn't realize that you did. And re you reminding yourself that you did that is really positive for your own mental well-being. And secondly, by consciously um, calling that out, you're more likely to do nice things, you know, to other people. Yeah. And just on that note, Steve, I just wanted to just in, in kind of 30 seconds, just just turn the table just really quickly, please, because sure. as a busy founder and CEO, <clears throat> you, you'll know exactly what it's like that most of our days are filled with problems and, and solving problems. So it can be really hard to take the time to recognize the journey you've been on. My question is, do you do you use that in the context of your business as well to pause and reflect about what a good thing you've done today for the company? So my um. I guess the way I do it and and to be fair, so I did it religiously. Well, religiously sounds a bit of a silly use of the word. I did it every single day as soon as I got the journal from sort of last Christmas all the way through last year. Then things got a little hectic and I stopped it, but now I've sort of started it back up again. This year has been a bit stop start, I guess. Um, but I take it holistically across my whole life. So it I don't differentiate between this thing was good over there, but that happened at work. So I take the the whole, you know, the whole thing. So, you know, if I was nice to someone at work or, or were nice to someone in work com, com, um, context or did something positive at work, then that would that, that would go in. But similarly, the same family or personal, I don't differentiate just purely because I don't feel like those differentiations are valid for me at the moment. You know, yeah. the, the life of a founder, well, everyone, lots of people work hard. So that's the wrong thing to say. But when you, I think that there's 
it's hard to leave the job at the door at five o'clock in the evening, yeah. you know, if, if it's your company. And it's certainly hard to, you know, not start till nine in the morning. So, you know, it, it does overflow into the rest of your life. Um, you know, my, my, my co-founder is my wife as well. Or one of my co-founders is my wife. So, you know, that's another layer of, of, of these sort of traditional boundaries between job and, and, and home life are completely blurred for us. So that's why I throw it all in together. That's wonderful. Yeah, have you ever heard of the the Wheel of Life, Steve? Have you ever no. used that? So that's actually a really nice opportunity to kind of give give a bit of an audit. And, and I do it, you know, once once a year or so. Effectively, the Wheel of Life is uh, imagine like a, a pizza, and it's made up of I can't remember the number. I think it's between nine and twelve uh, little slices, if you will. And each slice represents a different sector of our lives, whether it's um, physical fitness, career progression, finances, dot dot dot. And then uh, from the center, going outwards on each pizza slice is a scale from zero to ten and you okay. just in on each of these and yeah. you can have a visual a nice visual uh representation of where your current audit of your life is and you can quickly identify where you're you're lagging behind and so i just wanted to say that because that brings into this holistic approach that you're talking about that actually the whole thing is interconnected it's not about feeling good at home and not feeling good at work they they are intrinsically connected especially if you're a founder of course but for most hard-working people and you know, if, if you don't have the time to necessarily journal, having yourself a bit of an audit using the, if you Google like the wheel of life, you'll be able to have a printable download. That's quite, that's quite helpful, actually, I find. Yeah, they have a similar thing in here. Every kind of like, you know, month or so, you're supposed to do like a checklist across all these different kind of factors. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree. I think just any kind of reflection is good. Um, and, mm. but it's hard to, well, I, I've, found it didn't come necessarily naturally to me so i had to sort of find a format that i could follow to force myself to do it um and so it it doesn't come naturally i don't think to lots of people but it is really valuable yeah i, t I totally agree and i think you know the, the hardest thing with with deriving the value from this approach of journaling or auditing whatever it looks like is the consistency yeah um, and you know goodness knows that's one of the hardest things that, that i find is consistently doing something the one thing that i would say is as long as you are consistently doing something, that's really beneficial. If you go for a period of three months and you're only doing a gratitude list and you're not journaling, great, own that, you know. Um, and that's the one thing that in my early days of, <clears throat> you know, kind of post-suicidal depression, I used to beat myself up quite a lot to say, why am I not doing a certain thing every day? And then shift that focus to, as long as I'm doing something every day, I recognise that like the seasons that will fluctuate. Do you think that there's a bit of... so? on 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 the socials instagram probably mostly i i would say there's a lot of talk from various people around journaling and gratitude and these different things obviously talking about those things is there's a net positive impact about talking about them because you raise awareness of them but a little bit like you just said there do you think it creates the impression in some people that they're failing because they're not doing it every day and they see it from these people claiming that they do it every day and you know like Oh, I, you know, my morning routine, I get up at six o'clock in the morning and I pray for half an hour and then I have half an hour of self-reflection. Then I do my journaling. Then I, you know, then I get breakfast for my three kids and get them to school and things like that. And I'm thinking, well, like my day starts at 6am when my three kids get up and start tearing the house to pieces. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not really in a kind of self-reflective mood at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't, I could not agree more with that sentiment of, you know, what's that saying of don't compare your life to someone else's highlight reel? And I think the social media is simply a highlight reel. It is not indicative of real life whatsoever. And I think if you can follow people on Instagram or LinkedIn, 
that prioritize vulnerability over over the, the the perfect reflection of something that's genuinely better because nobody nobody does that and i think that's your question i actually do think it drives lower mental health overall because you right. do feel guilty for looking at what you should be doing quote unquote yeah i actually weirdly i'm starting to think that linkedin is becoming a bit more supportive about that because i feel like the stuff that you see there is very focused i think on a people achieving i would say work type goals mm -hmm. right so and, and it's by verified people in effect that have jobs yeah for want of a better word yeah. then they're not just people being famous for being famous sort of thing and, and yeah. it's quite sort of i don't know not overtly soft and fluffy but weirdly sort of advice led a bit like this work for me maybe this will work for you type of thing yeah I, I definitely see that shift happening no question and over the last you know couple of years I've also seen uh that vulnerability introduced I think that you know initially a lot of things that were shared on LinkedIn were positioning people as to effectively why am I the best you know this is right now we're seeing actually vulnerability be rewarded with followers with people buying into genuine mission-led honest companies that are led by honest vulnerable leaders and founders and so all that to be said Steve I totally agree I think that we're seeing more healthy posts uh, happening on LinkedIn but I still think there is definitely an element of a highlight reel I think that a lot of people that do yeah. share advice are still coming from a place of here's why I'm great here's why what I've done is success and what you should do next I would definitely welcome more people to say hey everyone I've messed up here I've, I've not done yeah. a very good job you know I would welcome that more and more makes sense um well sean what a conversation that was brilliant we've come to the end of the show um i really appreciated the openness and, and the honesty and thank you very much for coming on if people want to learn more about mind data where do they go thank you sue yeah thank you so much for the invite um you can head over to minddata.io minddata.io or you can find me on linkedin uh, my name sean ruane uh, so that's where i post a lot of our updates brilliant sean thank you very much for coming on the show and thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back again next week. Thank you. Thank you. Hold my hand. Everything will be okay. I heard from the heavens that clouds have been gray. Pull me close. Wrap me in your aching arms. I see that you're hurting Why'd you take so long To tell me you need me I see